0: I wanted to begin tonight to talk about uh, self-image and models. And I thought, uh, well, a very obvious um, example of this is right now, um, with each country. I'm sure you'll recognize when you use each country as its own idea, its own image, its own model of how it's handling this crisis. And it kind of reflects a national identity. And we compete with each other, you know, how many many more died somewhere else than here. and within each country, there are, like in the UK, there are different areas that themselves pride themselves or, or fret about how they've modeled or the image they've created about the way they handle it, the virus. I'm um, even get it down to football clubs, like Everton Football Club uh, calls itself the People's Club, I think. It uh, has its own image of what it's like. And right down to a personal level, which is, a, which is more interesting, we all have images of ourselves that um, most of us anyway, carry unconsciously throughout most of our our, our waking hours. And um, the self image is made up of our concepts or pictures of how we see ourselves. Um, We can see ourselves as being a nice person or a competent person or a deep thinker or whatever, you know? Um, And this image and the ideas we have about ourselves give us a feeling I assume of, of, of a certain specialness um, and that's not even necessarily a specialness around having particular qualities, you can also be a special feel special around in a particular way around um, <clears throat> the things that we suffer from interestingly you know, so there are, there are various markers that allow us to feel unique and special and um, <clears throat> And yet, I think all of us have experienced some time that not needing to be special, not needing to be any particular way, is what allows us to be more free—free um, uh, free to experience things as they arise without um, our story getting in the way. Uh, and you know, and, and also associates with our self-images, our uh, our identities. You know. Our, are you a teacher? Are you a mum? Are you a dad? Are you a businessman? Are you a Zen teacher? Are you a roshi? Are you an athlete? All these things uh, all create this idea of a self-image which we model, and um, you know it helps us get by, uh, but we have to keep looking after it, and it's the the, the mental model that arises and then equips you with what you see is right, what you see is wrong, what you see is bad, what you see is right, what you see is unfair, and so on and so on and so forth. And we, you know, I've talked about this pattern a lot and you all probably know it on board when we talking about it, but I'm sure you see it in yourselves as well, I certainly do. And, you know, this this model is fine, um, but what happens is uh, for nearly all of us at some time, something happens in our lives and the model breaks down so we may have built up an idea about a relationship or another person's behavior or our job um, or somebody dies and when this happens and i, I think probably everybody at a certain age for certain, everybody knows that when when this kind of self-model gets a good shaking or something goes wrong, as as is really evident now for many of us who are locked down in different situations, you know, the model for the individually and for the nation has changed. And what happens is that everyone and everything around you starts to take on a different you. Things begin to fall apart, you panic, you do all you can do to hold it together, you'll struggle, you'll fight, you hope to stop the world from collapsing. And um, you know, it, 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 it's only at that moment, I think, that we see the, the reality or the authenticity of the model. Was it a real model? Did it really fit us? And what happens when it falls apart? What do we do? Where do we go from there? Um, how do we find some freedom from this need to be constantly putting things together again? I think that's, that's the question. And um, uh, <laughs> I don't have an easy answer, I'm afraid, except to be aware, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. How, how, how does that work out? What, what happens there? I do, I do have a slice. I do have an antidote, which, uh, which is the other side of that imaging and self-modelling, which is, where's the phrase, what's it? it's, what kind of freedom is it that exists in doing nothing? It is the freedom not to interfere or react. It is the freedom to merely observe. What kind of freedom is it that exists in doing nothing? It is the freedom not to interfere or react. It is the freedom to merely observe. And that's what we do when we sit on a cushion. Uh, And ideally, that's what we do when we sit on a cushion. And it's also, what we do, what we plan to do when we stay in silence. Um, so in that silence, stillness can arise. Uh, and that st- stillness, if, if you know, if it's if it feels really still, it holds nothing of, 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 of us in it. Um, whereas our normal everyday way of thinking has been to keep silence at bay. That's normally our purpose of thinking is to keep that at bay by imposing a layer of noise between ourselves the still, and the stillness. Um, and in a way, it, sometimes it feels like all, all our are becoming, all that all we do is an attempt to fill this absolute nothingness with something. You know, this, uh, this, this feeling of, like, of the absolute, like to the, to the small self, this scary black hole, we want to fill it. Yeah, we, we, well, we want to fill it with me, basically, usually. That's the best solution to the, to the, the, the existential angst that, feel, that, that arises when we experience the absolute. Um, and then that's one thing that happens. And then as the mind quietens through meditation, um, <clears throat> we sometimes can touch into and clock into the impermanence, the real impermanence of everything. In substantiality of all things uh, and yet to our everyday ordinary self that's 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 the worst you know the mind wants substance it wants order it wants form so with the paradox we're now working with is that um it's interesting you know we're, we're wanting to be in silence we're wanting to allow spatialness spaciousness and the freedom to arise and the mind at the same time wants to fill it because it's uncomfortable with the space it's just practice, I guess, that we, you know, are long enough sitting in silence. And I'm talking about all these things because they're, they're all possibilities at this moment, you know, in, in the lockdown. We all have the chance to be silent and we all have the chance to be busy. Um, and the, 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 that paradox of, of, um, of the mind not wanting to be quiet but wants to fill it, um, There's a name for it, which I've written down here. The paradox is called the absolute perfection of the imperfect. The absolute perfection of the imperfect. E.g., from one side of the coin, everything is perfect and nothing needs changing. And yeah, obviously, the world has lots of wars. There's lots of suffering. There's this virus going on. That's the paradox. On one side, everything's perfect. On the other, it isn't. And equally, we also have the paradox of the timelessness and time passes. Um, and both these, these particular paradoxes definitely scramble our sense of self and our sense of, um, of where we are in the world. And it's sitting. Ideally, when we do our zazen, and when we sit, the plan is to allow the mind to stand in that paradox, and not on one side or the other. And it kind of reminds me of, um, in nature it happens, that that, um, the fact that light can be seen as either a particle or a wave, you know, and it seems you can't pin it down. What's it gonna be, a particle or a wave? And that's a useful analogy for sitting in this place where we're not, um, we're just, we're just observing, really, and there's no judgment. I think that's probably the most important. There's no judgment. And um, it's the absolute perfection of the imperfect. I think, what was that? Um, It's in the Sutra somewhere, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Well, form is emptiness, emptiness is form, says it. But it's said better. Oh, yeah, sometimes delusion is enlightenment, and enlightenment is delusion. The absolute perfection of the imperfect. Um, yeah. Okay. I think that's all I wanted to say. Uh, yeah. I also I just just once more, I've written in black letters down here something that I read that I thought was really interesting. He said. If when you sitting, thoughts do arise, and they will, obviously, for all of us, they do. Um, there's no need to reject them. You kind of you can befriend them, but then let them know that you'll talk to them later. You know, put them on the back burner till later. You're not being ignored, thoughts. So we'll I'll have a I'll have a word with you later. But for the moment, I'm sitting in silence. Yeah. Okay. And um, I'm open for any observations, reflections, wise words, questions, (laughs) what you like,
1: anything. Hi, John. Uh, Hi, yeah. Thanks for that. Lots of stimulating thoughts in there. And uh, when you're talking about the coin, um, you know, where one side is perfection. Um it, it, it seems that what that means to me is that um, things are perfectly as they are uh, in this moment. Uh, yeah. They are exactly. There is no way that they, they could be any different. This is it. Yeah. But on the flip side of the coin, um, I, I might prefer things to be slightly different in the future. Yeah, like, even though it's slightly different,
0: yeah. <laughs> Pretty different. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah it's true. Um,
1: but, but that initial complete acceptance of, you, you know, it, that's the question, you know, is that it? Perfection in the sense of complete acceptance of what is, even though I might want to modify it in the future.
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you, John. That's that's, that's, that's
2: well said, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Hi Clive. Yeah, hi there. Um, I, had, I don't think I'd heard that phrase, the absolute perfection of imperfection, but it's, it's a beautiful phrase. Yeah. Um, and if you, it is, life seems to be like, a, as you say, a coin with perfection and imperfection on either side, constantly spinning. Um, which is why... It, you can't kind of fix it with your mind, really, because you're always trying to sort of fix it and hold it. And it seems to me, it's very easy to talk about these things, about sort of accepting things as they are. But even, but even things like sitting there with a the painful knees hard enough.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Let alone, you know, being mm. thrown out of a helicopter or something by some. Yeah the dodgy Argentinian regime, or whatever it is that you have to face, you know. And I suppose, moment by moment, all we can do is practice on the little nursery slopes of our life. Yeah. Um, It's hard enough, you know, I don't know whether you, you know, we get what we can cope with, perhaps we do. Um, Yeah. you, You look at some people's lives and you think, how can they withstand that much pain and suffering and mm-hmm. misery, and yet sometimes they're a model for us. So there's a sort of mystery to the whole business of suffering, yeah. seems to me. Yeah, yeah.
1: Thank you, Clive. Thank you. Have you
0: been stunned or bored into silence? That's
3: right. <laughs> Hi, yeah. Roshi. Can I say
0: something?
3: Sure, you can. Um, well, there's a few things really. One is what. What's what's the difference between somebody who just accepts a lot like what Clive was saying about some people can just have like lots of pain and suffering in their lives and they, they're kind of fine and then some people's like maybe tolerance to it is just really low and it's you know they won't they want to get rid of it or they change yeah. something straight away is that is that accepting it or and to, you have to accept it to be able to change it or Are
0: you supposed to just not want to change it? Yeah. Yeah, another really interesting question. I mean, there are two things, aren't there? One is our own natural, you know, our own personality, what we're born with, our, our genetics, what we were brought up with in how we respond to a situation. I mean, some people have a very high frustration level. They can be hugely frustrated and still tolerate it. but others have a very low frustration level. Like, they get really pissed off quickly if they're frustrated, you know? Uh, so, but that's a spectrum of people, and that's just how they are. And then, um, and then there's the decision that each of us have the freedom to make, which is how, how how do we choose to to manage the situation? Do we do we choose to try and actively embrace it, even if it's difficult, or do we choose to resist it and try and change it into something that suits us more? These are all decisions that each of us can only take on, you know, almost on a daily or an hourly basis, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no, there's no, firstly, I wish there was, there's no golden answer to that. Yeah. But thank you for the question.
3: Yeah.
0: Thank you. Hi. Thank you. Hi, Sarah. Yeah, Hi. for me,
4: that has to also include the embracing and accepting the wanting it to change. The kind yeah, of the well, not liking the situation, the kind of the frustration. Yeah. Pretending that I like it and that it's all absolutely perfect as it is when that doesn't feel like it is. Yeah. So accepting the situation it is, is now isn't separate from that, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, well, you just described the absolute perfection of imperfection. <laughs> <laughs> it includes everything and it's okay.
4: <laughs> Even when it's not.
0: Even when it's not, yeah. You know, the that energy, seems, that so seems not, to give
4: the energy and the space to do what needs to be done to respond to it, including to change it where possible and appropriate. Yeah.
0: That's, uh, that, that Hilda Neil quote, think, uh, all, all will be well and all manner of things will be well. And even if they're not well, they'll be well. <laughs> that's that's sums it up, yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for pointing it out for sure. Hi Tim.
4: I've definitely noticed that as our lockdown has gone on and there's very, very little to really be physically doing here um, because we've had to, because of where we live, there's a lot of observance of nobody's going out at all. So it's quite obvious if anyone's actually on the street or anything like that. but well, my mind has definitely been rebelling. So when, when we come to sit, um, it's def- as much as I like to sit, and I do like to sit, I love to see everybody, and I love to sit with everyone. But my experience of sitting has definitely been challenged, you know, um, by the natural rebellion of the thoughts um, that have been coming up. And there, there have been periods where I've had quite... Uh, you know what I would regard as an involved set and then there's definitely times where oh my god everything has been everywhere rather than just here definitely yeah, Yeah. I'm
3: sure
4: can I just say one other thing, the other thought I did have was how cruel it is to keep anybody prisoners, you know, anybody in a solitary confinement, that must be
0: horrific, mm. absolutely horrific. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you,
3: Rushi. Yeah. Uh, Neil, hi. 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 Can you hear me? Hi. Uh, Neil, hi. Neil. Yeah, yeah. See you. Hi. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, you were talking about our discomfort with emptiness um, yeah. at times and feeling a discomfort of emptiness and it it really resonated with me that feeling of a discomfort of the emptiness between me of, of, a discomfort of that space between um us as people sometimes <laughs> like the emptiness between um me and all you or me and someone i might be i don't know in a room with um and and the that feeling of discomfort and wanting to find some sort of form, or as as a way of bridging that emptiness in some ways. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> le- it left me wondering: what is is there any relationship between that between the emptiness that like the, ab- the emptiness of the absolute and the Empt- emptiness yeah. of the experience between each other?
0: It's great, uh, Neil. I, I, I think there's an absolute connection. Yeah, yeah that uncomfortable silence, that, that kind of allowing <laughs> things to be when you want to fill them. Because it creates, that, that silence can create a discomfort, can't it? It's the same discomfort, I think, as, uh, yeah. It's a self being challenged, really. I, thank you, That's, it, it. makes it personal. Uh, I agree with you. I think it's the same. Thank you. Thanks.
2: Thank you. I'm not sure I agree with that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> maybe I've been misunderstood what you were saying. Uh, maybe I don't understand what that conversation was, but surely the difficulty we're talking about emptiness in, in, the, in the great way, the big emptiness, if you like, um, of form and emptiness, and the emptiness that people experience, or you could call it the you know or the alienation that is sort of a common, particularly a common sort of modern urban experience, which I'm not so sure people had nearly so much when we all lived with a hundred people or less that we knew from birth to death. Um, we talk about that emptiness, but it's also a fullness at the same time, that's part of the paradox, isn't it? And it's, it's, it seems <laughs> to me that the emptiness that we were mentioning just then is largely a negative, it's an unfortunate, it's an, an alienation. It's yeah, but a Clive, Clive
0: Neil was talking about the discomfort of that emptiness. Yeah, and 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 certainly people do feel serious discomfort when they first yeah. experience yeah. the emptiness. I mean, the self starts to scream blue murder. So I think it's the same. The origin is still the self in both cases.
2: Uh, yeah, oh, the I see. The but be, but cases. also, but but surely there's also the total opposite of that. Well, there I mean, is, yeah,
0: but we weren't yeah. talking about that. We were talking about... Oh, I, understand. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I just not well, I just didn't want to leave it on the one side.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Oh, well, thank okay. you.
2: Only <laughs> 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 a negative.
0: Oh, thank, I, you. I, thank, I, you for, thank you for wanting some fairness, but... <laughs> You know, as we said often, it's almost impossible to cover both sides in every sentence. <laughs> no, I, no,
2: I understand that. Yeah,
0: yeah. But I mean,
2: and yeah. it's quite understandable. then We tend to talk about the suffering. Yeah. And it's much harder to talk about the bliss, the joy, the, the ineffable.
1: Wonder. Yeah.
0: The new I don't know if anybody
2: saw there was a TV program about the Hubble telescope the other day. Mm. And talking about the distances and the, what, the, what the Hubble Telescope can see, once you confront the unmind-bending, the enormity of the universe, kind of all your all your neurons just sort of lie down and give up, really. Um, yeah, That's right. There is a sort of wonder to it. That's all <laughs> I wonder.
0: Thank you, Clive. I agree with you about the Hubble program. It's was great, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um,
4: I've just been thinking about. Um, Thoughts.
0: Yeah. That oh, yeah, it's a good thing to think about, though. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on.
4: The thing is, for me anyway, is that I've been conditioned or I've been hardwired to believe my thoughts.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And mm. that's always a battle for me
3: because
4: yeah. I know in a deeper place that. The thoughts, there's no point in believing them because they're just like the breath. They're just in and out. Yeah. And it's how I get caught in my thoughts. Yeah. It's a bloody problem a lot of yeah, the time. Yeah.
0: yeah, no. Yeah, really. I, I think for all of us, yeah, have believe <laughs> in those thoughts to come and go. Is, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, for mentioning that. Thank you.
3: Okay.
0: What do you think, folks? Should we done?